O Father in heaven, where can we go when thou hast the words of eternal life? In this day and age in which we live where there's so much confusion, so much restlessness, so much upheaval, so many pestilences, and there's wars, rumors of wars and wars, and we pray for your presence and your guidance because we cannot see clearly without you. Bless the word now as it goes forth, as you have blessed it already this morning. And may all that we do think or say in this day redound to your glory. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Just in the um, sort of the frame of mind that went out today about the true simplicity of spirit and the song we heard also about the meekness of our Savior and how he requires it of us. The word from Matthew 18 came to my mind, the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 18. We'd like to start reading at verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and said, him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever who shall receive one of such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were far better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offences, for it must needs be that offences uh, come, but woe to the man by whom the offence cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or foot, thy foot offend thee, cut them off, and cast them from thee, it is better f for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If the nine offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven for the son of man is come to save that which was lost and then the lord jesus goes on and gives examples of those that were lost the sheep and so forth i'd like to stop reading at uh, verse 11 this is not a very complicated piece of scripture it's very straightforward 
and God never meant it to be complicated. Though there are things that are difficult to understand, even for the apostles, as Peter said, that uh, the dear brother Paul uh, wrote about many things that were hard to understand, which some having uh, attempted to undertake, they got themselves into lots of difficulties. And we have a simple word of faith here. Uh, a simple word that even children can understand them. Uh, it just so happened this morning in the car, my wife was telling me about what our little grandson was talking to her about. Uh, it so happened that one of our neighbors was, he was the local snow remover. He had his own truck and he'd go and remove snow from people's neighborhoods. And uh, we once uh, packed him a Christmas lunch because he was sort of a, a loner. I think he was divorced for a long time. And, um, and we, our heart went out to him and we tried to help him. Uh, and just recently we found out that he passed away. And Yosha, of course, remembered him because Millie would stop on, on her walks through the neighborhood and talk to him perhaps. And, and he heard that he had passed away. Now he's, he's only five, not even five, right? He's four, right? And, um, but his, the question that came to his mind that he asked his grandmother was, is Jerry going to go to heaven? I thought, what would a four-year-old be telling, asking these questions, is Jerry going to go to heaven? And I think Millie's had conversations with him that he had a faith in God and so forth. And so she reassured him that he probably will go to heaven too and we're going to see him there. But this is the faith of a four-year-old and I'm sure your children have lots of stories too. I don't want to uh, in any way elevate in any way our, our grandchildren. But when a four-year-old asks, is this man going to go to heaven? He already has in his mind that there is a, a life hereafter and there are very many more important things in this world than just life on earth. It's an amazing thing that, you know, we think children are so small and their brains are so small, but they, they get it. And sometimes they get at what humans that are old and uh, adults don't get. Because they think very simply. They don't think uh, with a lot of complications. They're very trusting in what you say. When you say Jesus loves me, when you say God created the worlds, they don't question it. When you say God is so big, he, he made this whole universe and the stars and the moon and they believe it, they accept it. They're very teachable. And then you ask, why is it that we as adults don't see it? We say, well, because adults, they're more intelligent. Adults are more questioning. They want proof. Um, to a child, it's so complicated, they don't understand how God could do this. They accept it because they see it. 
But even adults, they see it and they, they, they know about the vastness of the universe. They know about the complexity of the human mind and the complexity of, of, of creation. And they can't explain it, but they look for loopholes, if you will, for ways to, for reasons not to believe. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus said that why were, why are people condemned? Is because when the light was being revealed to them, they loved darkness more than light. They loved their fun. I once heard about a, a story about a, an old English, uh, uh, what do you call it, a book that somebody wrote about a boy called William. And it was sort of a, uh, what do you call fictional book, but this boy, William, he always got into trouble, always got into trouble. And uh, once he was at church, he I guess he must have heard a sermon and he felt, I gotta get, I gotta get right with God. But he loved mischief. And what's shown here in this fictional story is, is the inherent sin in man. That even though he wanted to go right with God, he was gonna make right, but he said, you know what, I'm gonna wait another couple of days. There's still some things that I wanna do that I know are bad. And he put it off. And the next day, you know what? There's still some things that I want to do that I know that are bad, but, and he put it off. And you think that this, this is just a fictional story, but that's what happens with us. There's still things that I want to do. There are still things in this world that I want to taste. There are still things that I want to do that I want to experience, in this world that I want to experience. The, there may be greener pastures on the other side still, because I know once I become a Christian, I can't do them. But it's a completely misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian and what God's will is for us. And that's why Jesus um, compared conversion to, to at least the, the heart for, of conversion to that, the heart of a child Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of God. You know, I've been studying a lot about some of the hard questions in the Bible about why people are saved and why people are not saved. And you'll get in one camp those saying, well, people are not saved because God didn't want to save them. And in the other camp you say, people are not saved because they don't want to be saved. And people will find uh, isolated scriptures in this camp to say, well, see, God never opened their eyes. He opened their eyes. You see... Uh, it says God had, uh, has those that he has selected uh, that were predestined before the foundation of the world, therefore they're saved, and these are not saved. But when you, when you look at 
the scripture that they are talking about and then you expand before and after you see that's not the reason people are not saved because they were condemned from the beginning they weren't the cold they weren't the elect but when you look at it and I'll just give you one example of that and the more I read the more I see um, The, the one that I'm thinking about is in John. John 6, 44 is the one that people normally bring up. It says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. No man can come to me. That's what it says in that little one verse, 644. No man can come to me except the Father draw him. The Father draws some, but he doesn't draw others. Jesus says in Matthew 18, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus say, is saying the responsibility lies on you. The responsibility lies on the sinner and those that say opposite that, no, the responsibility is God's. Because he says here, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, uh, lest he draws him, he can't come. Well, if you back up and you look at everything that happened in chapter 6, Jesus put the responsibility not on the Father, Jesus put the responsibility on the sinner. For example, chapter 6 talks all about the um, miracle that Jesus did in feeding the 5,000. And after he fed the 5,000 on the other side of the lake, they all follow him around. They, they, they take ship too, as Jesus took ship and crossed the lake, and they follow him all this, all this time. And Jesus says, you didn't come to me because of the miracle. You came to me because you were fed. You want more food. You want more physical food. You want bread. Not because I performed a miracle. Not because I, you say, you know, this must be the Son of God. Or this must be a man sent from God. But you want more bread. And Jesus said, look, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Where is the responsibility? Is it on the Father or on the sinner? You've seen me do these things, but you don't believe me. And he keeps going. He says, I am the one that came down from heaven. I am that bread. Moses gave you bread in the wilderness. And, and those that ate of his bread are dead. They are dead. They're buried. They're gone. But the bread that I give you, you will never die. You will never perish. Because he was thinking on the eternal, like the little child that said the first thing that came to his mind was, is he going to go to heaven? That's the most important thing. And this is the will of him. This, this is the will of God that sent him. Verse 40, this is the will of him, that is of God, 
that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. God's desire is that everyone that comes across Jesus would believe on him, and Jesus will raise him up on the last day. And that's why it leads right into, as, as a matter of fact, there's another scripture which I didn't read between 35 and 40 that speaks about, about the very same thing that, that some people take as saying, oh, God predestined them. Then he comes to verse 40, he says, No man comes to me but by the Father which has drawn me, which, which has sent me, draw him. Because these Jews really believed that theirs was the salvation for the taking because it was promised to them, to Abraham. The Jews believed just because they were Jews, they were saved. And God says, Jesus says, you're not saved. And God is not going to draw you unless you believe on me. Unless you humble yourself like a little child, God is not going to draw you. God is not going to do something against your own will. God will preach the word as they were preached to him. But God is not going to give you something that you don't want. And this has been the theme throughout scripture. God is going to give you eventually, I think I mentioned this in the past, what you really want. He that is unclean, let him be unclean still. You want to be unclean, he's going to leave you in your uncleanness. You want to be clean, God is going to give you what you want. You want to be clean, you want to be right before God. God will give it to you. But he says, knock, ask, seek, and I will give. The responsibility lies on the individual. Now, he can't do it himself. God is so gracious that God initiates. God initiates salvation. God is initiating salvation today, this morning service. God is initiating salvation. He's through the gospel. You, there's a scripture that says that through the gospel you've been called. God draws you through the gospel. But he expects a response. That's the key. God wants a response. It's not that we initiate our salvation and we respond to that initiation and we become saved because of ourselves. No. God initiates. He's so gracious, he initiates. Though we have rejected him, he initiates. If you go to the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was called by God in the book of Abraham. In the book of Genesis through Abraham. He was called by God in the book of Exodus through, through Moses. The nation of Israel was called. He was a chosen a nation. And when I say he, he's a representative of the, he's the head of the, of the state. That is Israel. Jacob was the head. And he became Israel the state. He was chosen. And God says in Deuteronomy, you weren't chosen because you were the mightiest and you were the most lovable and adorable. You, as a matter of fact, you were stiff-necked. You were rebellious, but I still chose you. It shows that God is a persevering God. And he will persevere, but there's a time when he says, I'm going to give you what you want. 
not just to the nation of Israel, but he gives it to mankind. Go to the first book of Romans, first chapter of Romans. He's talking about the ancient world, the heathen, when they saw God in the sky, in the stars, in the moon, in the waters, in the rivers, and they, they, they rejected him. They suppressed the truth. Then, after they continued in their rebellion and resistance and obstinance, God says, I'm going to give you over. You want it? I'm going to give you over. And that can happen at any age. You think, well, if I resist him, maybe when I'm 25, I'm going to, God's going to accept, accept me. I don't know when that time is. God knows. But he'll give you over. He'll give you over to what you want. And that's when he says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw, draw him. Salvation is not yours automatically, Jews. And there are still Jews today that are lost. They're still bowing to the Western Wall. Still doing this all the time to the Western Wall. And God's not hearing that, those prayers. Until Jesus said, I will not return again to you until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, Yahweh, meaning Christ, the Messiah. I'm not going to come to you again until you call to the nation of Israel to save them as a, if you will, as a remnant. Until you call, because it was his last few days and he was sitting across from the temple and they were looking at the beautiful stones and the disciples saying, look how beautiful this temple is. And, and Jesus said, I tell you verily, verily, truthfully, I tell you that not one of these beautiful stones shall be left upon another. Now we're like weighing 25 tons each. Not one of these stones will be left upon another. And then he had that, that uh, lament and said, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks and you would not. You refused. This beckoning God, this searching God, this, this, the one that Israel was his firstborn, as he said, and they rejected him. And he said, I'm not coming back until you as a nation, as a remnant, will receive me again and cry out blessed is he that comes in the name of the lord that's the context of john 6 and and but if you keep on reading as i said read before read after go to the end of john 6 and look what he says verse 64 let's go verse 62 what and if you shall see me the son of man ascend up where he was before it is the spirit that quickeneth, that makes alive the flesh, profiteth little. The words that I speak unto you, they're spirit and they are life. But they are, there are some of you which believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, therefore, he finished saying all this. Therefore, I said unto you in verse 44, that's what he's saying. I said unto you in verse 44, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. 
He put the responsibility not on God for not drawing them. He put the responsibility on man because they refused to believe. That's no different than what Jesus said in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. For God so loved the world, that means the whole world, not just the world of the elect, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn it. God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. He's saying the same thing as in John chapter 6. Believe on me. I want you to believe on me. It's not willing. God is not willing that any should perish. God, God is willing that all should come to the truth. And that same will that is used here in the Greek is the same will that is used in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's God's desire that everyone is saved. But you know what? Not everyone is being saved because it's not God's absolute will of decree that makes people saved. Because if it was, everybody would be saved. But they're not. It is God's desire that everyone be saved. But God is such a God that he allows man to have free will to make that choice. And he gives us that free will to make that choice today as well. And the way we can make that choice is we become children. When he tells us his word, we follow it. We remember it. If a four-year-old can know that, you know, there's a life after death and that, that you've got to be good to get into heaven, surely that should prompt us to start questioning, what's my next step? God doesn't expect us to know everything at once. But that's why I firmly believe he says, knock, ask, and seek. Because that doesn't happen at once. You don't knock once and bang, you're a Christian. When you seek for the Father, you seek for his truth. You want to find out who he is. You want to find out who you are. You want to find out who was his son. You want to find out what did his son do? Why did he come to earth? We heard this morning. Why he came to this earth. So that God could show himself to us on our level. And communicate with mankind on our level. And to show us the way. Not just an example on how to be good. But so we could witness that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us in shedding his blood. And it takes... Childlike faith to believe that. It takes a childlike faith. You know, you wonder, you may say to yourself, well, there's so many intelligentsia out there. There's so many scientists out there. There's so many philosophers out there that just knock that back. And they got great examples. They got great advice. They got great uh, uh, Counterexamples and point to point. Tell you what, for every single scientist and doctor and physician and, and, and psychiatrist and, and you name it out there that is out there, there's others equally as qualified, 
in terms of science, equally qualified in terms of academia, and they see a different story. It's got to make you question. It's got to make you wonder. I remember, I, I probably brought this example up a half a dozen times in this church already. 1985, I think it was 85, when they sent up that uh, spacecraft, I even forget the name of it now, and they were supposed to measure the, the background radiation in the universe. If they would measure this background radi radiation, they could come to the conclusion that this universe did not exist at one point in time. That this universe became from nothing, out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. And guess what? They measured it. They measured the radiation. And they say there was a, about 70 Nobel Prize winners and scientists that had written this book called Cosmos Bios Theos that believed in a God that was out there. Because before, they said the universe always was and always will be, and now they, now they got stumped. Guess what? There was not always a universe. Even science itself had proven them wrong. Oh, now there's a Big Bang. But for me to believe, I have to understand that Big Bang. Like someone said, if you... To be an atheist is a much more difficult task because you, you have to explain thousands and thousands of miracles to explain your life in your worldview. To be a Christian, you just have to explain one miracle or accept one miracle. And that is that God created the heavens and the earth. Everything else is just A byproduct, if you will. The fact that there is a God that knows us, that, that understands us, that was here from all time, is enough. Now the question is, who is this God? What can he do? What does the word say? And, and when you align that with all the prophecies from the beginning of time to now, and how many of the prophecies were fulfilled and how consistent the the biblical account was you've got a hard time explaining that to getting your way out of that but a child says you know what it's like the blind man right like the blind man in John chapter 9. He was blind all his life. And Jesus came and healed him. And up come the big chiefs and the Pharisees and says, how did that happen? I don't know. There's this man called Jesus. He came and healed me. Well, we know that this man is not from God. Da-da-da-da-da-da. You read it for yourself. <laughs> Whether he be of God or no, I don't know, but I'm healed. My, my, my eyes are opened.
That's childlike faith. That's childlike faith. My eyes are open. I can see now. I can't explain all your politics and all your religiosity. I can't explain that. I just know I can see them. You think that the Jew of the time would see and say, there is something to this. There is something to this. And God says, when you see there is something to this, when there's that ring of truth, follow it. Follow the light that God has given you. Seek him or you're too afraid of what you might find. Someone once put it this way, that man is gradually progressing up the the ladder of technology and science and he's going up and going up and finally he comes and what? He sees the feet of God. He sees the feet of God. God's up there. God created everything. God made everything. Except you have the faith of a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I know I read lots of verses, but I'm going to leave it at that. I just felt I had to share that. May the Lord in his grace and mercy really open our eyes. Really make us see. Was it Elisha when the Assyrians were attacking? And the young servant boy came up to him and says, Master, look at all the host, enemy of the host around about us. He was fretting that they're going to be destroyed. And the prophet prayed, Lord, open the eyes that he may see. And then he saw the hillsides filled with the host of the Lord. Oh, I pray that that could happen today, that angels would just fill and flood the skies. You could see, but that's not how God wants you to come to him. That every time you want to obey him and you want to believe him, he has to show you a miracle when he has given you his evidence that demands a verdict in his book, in his creation. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Uh, Brother, please find a hymn.